This sports social podcast is brought to you by BetVictor, where live streams, smart stats, and in-play betting can help you make your best bet yet. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Welcome everyone to the Blue Day podcast and for Chelsea fans everywhere, every day is a blue day. I am your host, a man with a face for podcasting, Keith Lawrence. On today's show, we will be reviewing the recent Newcastle game, previewing the Champions League game against Rennes and talking everything else about Chelsea. To join me in this is my co-host as always. He is the Londoner, living it large up north. He's Chris Sutton's number one fan. It's Warren. Warren, welcome to the show. Hi there, Keith. Hi, everyone. Here we are, back in our traditional recording time slot of uh, just before 9am on a Sunday morning. So everything back to normal now. So happy days. Feeling positive after yesterday's result, Keith. I know we all are. No, we are. We're very, very positive from yesterday's result. We don't normally uh, go to St. James's Park and win. Um, I think the last time we actually won there was 2011, if I seem to remember. So, no, they're very. Yeah, was it eleven? Yeah, was it? Yeah, was it eleven? It was eleven or twelve for sure, wasn't it? I am interesting. You say about our bad record there, and it's just so. Yeah, it was. It was very pleasing to to go up. Well, to come up here and to get a result for once. Yeah, it was for me personally. It was. I was a little bit wary of it because mm. you know Newcastle can always sort of cause you issues, but I saw the lineup. Yeah, I saw our lineup. I saw Newcastle's lineup. Newcastle's lineup, I wasn't afraid of at all because no. they had Callum Wilson out. Yeah, yeah, they weren't going to keep Timo Werner and Tammy quiet. No, I thought they got their tactics completely wrong. I do, um, I do agree with a lot of the pundits within the last twenty four hours that have said that if there was a crowd there, Newcastle would not mm. have played like that. Mm. I can, yeah, absolutely. I, I, can, I can definitely agree with that. But listen, you've got to beat what's in front of you. And yeah, it's the same for, it's the same for everyone. Everyone's under the same sort of the same situation at the minute. Absolutely. So I, I do think that it probably, I mean, putting the two together, looking at the performance yesterday of both sides and the way that they played, and then looking at Chelsea specifically, looking at our record at St James's Park over the last 10 years, I think it says it all about what a difference the fans can make. Um, I would like to point out that Newcastle is a club that traditionally um, has a, a fan base that is revered around England, you know, as being 
these you know these loud and proud Geordies who like create an amazing atmosphere and blah 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 and all the rest of it. Can I just tell you, until Newcastle score, the atmosphere is shit. Hmm. Right? I don't care what anyone says. Right? I've been to many many grounds around England, including you know my my biggest the biggest rivals, you know teams like Liverpool and Man United and Tottenham and things like that. Not so much Tottenham. But the northern teams can usually generate a fantastic atmosphere from start to finish. Newcastle fans only create an atmosphere when they're moaning or when they've just scored. I can promise you that the ground is silent like it was yesterday in between. And that might surprise a few people. And I don't have... I'm not talking about Newcastle as a team that I hate, like Liverpool or Tottenham or, you know, Arsenal or anyone like that. I have a bit of a soft spot for Newcastle. I think kind of a lot of people people kind of too that they're kind of everybody's neutral team almost but their fans are knowing it's nowhere near it's well put it this way all you ever hear is the fact that everybody in Newcastle is a Newcastle fan and it's their religion and it's in their blood well I can tell you that I know one Newcastle fan up here and the rest are Man United and Liverpool fans so it's all the biggest load of bollocks you've ever heard about the north of England I just thought I'd get that one in there you thought you'd get that in on a Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Well, no, it's just, it's just, it's just a bit annoying that I could actually see the re- reality of it. But it's still, if you listen to, I don't know, if you were to listen to the King Penis of Punditry or someone, he'd talk about the amazing atmosphere when he was there. Well, yeah, when you're not in between, because every time I've been to St James's Park, it's been the same. It's been like the Emirates until they scored. It sounds like Anfield when they score. Like I'll admit, it's very, very loud. But anyway. Moving back onto the game with no fans. <laughs> well, yes. Well, let's let's talk about the game itself because I looked at the starting lineup for us, and I was talking to a couple of people all through WhatsApp during the game, and it was the sort of it was mutually agreed whereby there's no weaknesses in that starting eleven. If we if if we dissect it massively yes mm. we was missing silver but Rudiger looks a completely different player since he's come back into the fold Chilwell looks like he's been playing at the top level for 10 years and he's yeah. only 23 Kante the, the the real Kante is back yes and yes. and the stats support that yes Hakim the magician he was lively again. He, he, was, that... he was lively. He had a bit of an off day in terms of his end product. But I think that's something that you are going to find with someone like Zayic because he because he tries to play. He's one of these people who reminds me in a lot of ways in, in terms of his passing. He reminds me in so many ways of Kevin De- that he... He won't just play a simple pass. He won't just cross the ball in. He'll try and do it in a world-class way. So there was a few moments yesterday where his delivery could have been a bit better. But I think that the, the word that you've used there, Keith, is lively. And that's what I was... And that's what's exciting about him. He's, it's like when Werner picks up the ball. You get excited when he's on the ball waiting to see what he's going to do next. He's very, very exciting. And I think yesterday showed, I mean, all right, it was against Newcastle. It weren't like against City or Liverpool. But when we have played against these sides before and we've missed two to three key players, we've struggled. Mm. Now, yes, we can afford to have Thiago Silva have a weekend. <coughs> we can afford to give Havert another weekend of isolation. I was, was going to say, we've we got was players missing, coming in. We was missing 
a good number of players yesterday. Like like the two that you just mentioned there, Thiago Silva and Haberts are obviously two of the more standout people. But then you think that Pulisic is obviously still injured, Billy Gilmore is obviously still injured, um Callum Hudson Adoy, um he made some interesting comments during the week. He still doesn't feel back to a hundred percent fit this from his injury and he hasn't rebuilt all the muscle in his calf and everything and all the around and that kind of area where he had his injury and his ankle and stuff. And he said that it's been a really, really difficult period for him. And it's something that we've touched upon on the podcast before. We, I think, quite understandably questioned his attitude because, you know, had his head been turned by Bayern Munich, the, you know, the year before or whatever. And I think it turns out a lot of it was probably to do with his injury. So we said, um, you know, there's still, there's still four or five players that can come back into the starting lineup. And you were saying there about there being no weaknesses. Um, I think it's a very good way of looking at it because, as you say, we kind of looked at Alonso and we liked him, but he wasn't the player that we needed. Um, and then Christian and Kepa, I mean, I know, I know I probably preferred Kepa to a lot of people, but like you say, there was genuine weaknesses throughout our team. Whereas yesterday, you trust, I trusted everybody on the pitch yesterday I tr- until Emerson came on. I trusted everybody on the pitch. <laughs> I was a bit worried when Everson come on, but he done what he needed to do. Fair enough. But yeah, I I think that's the important thing for me yesterday was the fact that I trusted everybody on the pitch from from the goalkeeper to the centre forward. And there looks to be a lot of team cohesion within the squad. There's oh, a lot yes. of players that are working with each other. They're pressing together. Yes. They're defending together. <laughs> so that is a recipe for success. Yeah. You know, and there's still some people that question Frank Lampard's thinking is he the right man for the job. And I just look at the results that we've had since the start of the season. I can't believe that people are still questioning him. I think that I I was having this conversation with a with a Man City fan yesterday. Funnily enough, I know um, my cousin um, is with a Man City fan, and he's an avid Man City fan. He's been going for many many years. You know, see. Season ticket at Main Road kind of Man City fan. Um, definitely not like a Shake fan. And I was talking about the fact that I was like, uh, I said to him, I said, what, what's the feeling like within the within the club, within the community of fans at Man City? What's the feeling about Guardiola at the minute? Because, you know, you, you had a bit of a poor season the first season he was there. And then last season, obviously, Liverpool, you know, smashed it to pieces. Um, throughout the whole season and in the games that you played against each other and stuff, and I said, and then there's this season where, you know, he still hasn't bought a left back. He hasn't got a striker because they're all injured. And he let Sané go and he never replaced Silva and the Messi deal didn't happen. And they've still got every confidence. You know, they're still, you know, he's just signed a new two-year extension. And the feeling around the club is that they're not doing anywhere near good enough at the minute and things have to change. But they still completely support their manager. They still have complete trust in him. And I think that that's quite a good example to set. I don't. I don't understand how people are still questioning Frank without giving. He's not even had the opportunity yet. I mean, he's had he's had two months. When you think, well, September, he's literally had just over two months of having his team there, where he's been able to put his personality on the team and bring in the players that he wanted to bring in and start the style of football that he wanted to play. We've literally been doing that for two months under severe down and the. The pandemic and the, the fixture congestion and the lack of pre-season and all these other different factors. How anyone can be questioning 
a new and inexperienced manager, given the job that he is actually doing, we was top of the league yesterday for a fucking five hours, <laughs> like uh, nearly a, like a quarter of the way through the season as well. It's not like it's very, 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 very early days, but we haven't played one or two games. And I'm not getting carried away about being top of the league. I'm not. I'm just using it as an example of how idiotic people are to be questioning Lampard at a time like this. You know, when he's doing well, even if you don't think he's the right man for the job, how the fuck can, like, everyone was saying, oh, well, we don't support him because he's not winning and nothing's changed and this and all the rest of it. Now everything has changed and we're winning all the time and people are still questioning him, which means Frank's in a no-winning situation with those people, which is why I just fucking ignore him. <laughs> because he's doing a great job. Him and J- Jody are doing a great job at the minute. So I was pleased to see Tony back, at, at, like, Rudiger at the back. I'm, like you say, he was really solid. I was a bit surprised that Jorginho didn't play yesterday. Uh, and the reason that is, is because Newcastle were never going to press very high up the pitch. And I think the only thing that we missed yesterday was having a Jorginho come in to pick the ball up off of Azuma and Rudiger. Too many times it was Azuma or Rudiger trying to play it out to the fullbacks and start an attack. And it was a more difficult pass than if Jorginho would have done his thing and come short and picked it up and taken it off the centre backs. Um, not that it mattered in the end because everything worked out well, but I was when I saw the starting lineup, I was a little bit surprised that Jorginho wasn't in there. I think with <coughs> games coming up, excuse yeah. you. I think with games coming yeah, up, I think it is all a case of rotation, rotation, mm. rotation. Yes, Frank obviously said it, but I have to admit that he is, you know, he's still playing a core set of players yeah. week in, week out, which is undoubtedly helping. And I look at the likes of Tammy and Mount mm. together, mm. I would be extremely surprised if they are not part of the England setup for the Euros next year. Very, well, very Mount, surprised. M- Mount has to be. I mean, there's been a lot of talk recently of Mount being Southgate's golden boy at England and all the rest of it. Um, and there was a few people... I just, decided to sort of take a little bit of time and speak to other knowledgeable football fans but from different clubs like I said the Man City fan a Liverpool fan a Man United fan um, a Crystal Palace fan and I've been asking them what do you think of Mason Mount because I, I mean I, I know his brilliance everyone not everyone but most people know how fucking brilliant Mason Mount is but they're all Chelsea fans so I wanted to get the opinion of someone else someone who doesn't watch him as closely and as intently as perhaps myself or another Chelsea fan would and the opinion across the board is that well yeah he has to be in the team he's fantastic isn't he so I, I don't think there's any doubt that Mason Mount at the moment is a starting 11 player for England um, and Tammy has been he's just kept carried on from where he was last season it's just it's just it's just carrying on I mean I sent you a stat yesterday that the next since Frank Lampard joined the club well, as manager um, the next player to Tammy Abraham in terms of goals scored is 11 goals behind him like, I mean that's a, that, that's a lot more goals and, and we get goals from everywhere as well you know like you, you'd expect Mount to get a few and Pulisic to get a few and Havertz to get a few and Zayec to get a few and all the rest of it but to do that to have five or six players that score five or six goals each you need that one player that's going to get 20 plus goals a season Tammy looks like that man Especially if he plays with Werner, with Werner yeah. rather than one yeah. or the other. I think those two are starting to have a very good understanding yeah. and that was very evident with the second goal. I thought that second goal was 
just outstanding. Even the build-up to it before Werner took the ball. You know, normally teams are quite slow. It was a little bit like that yesterday, wasn't it? That yeah, there, it was there, more there, sort of like a... It was a know, training match. Like there a training match or there was, one there of them sort of... There wasn't the intensity. There wasn't the intensity. And I think no. that draws back to your original point about the fans. I think that as much as it affected Newcastle, we must look at it affecting Chelsea as well because although the home fans can have a negative effect on the the away team as as it traditionally has for us at St James's Park, uh, I, I think that it's important for the away team as well. You know, there's there was moments in the match yesterday where, especially just before half time, I felt that we switched off a little bit. We, we you know we got a little bit sloppy with a couple of passes and we almost let Newcastle back into the game a couple of times. Um, we defended those situations very well once we got them ourselves into those situations. You know, the the defence positioned themselves well and recovered well, and you know all the rest of it. But we was a little bit sloppy leading up to half time, and sometimes you you know a couple of thousand Chelsea fans there might have made a huge difference to that because it's just a reminder of where you are and what you're doing. So I think the crowd affected the intensity of both teams yesterday, um, especially. With come back after the international break it, it very much had a feeling of like a community shield game yesterday mm. you, know, mm. you know like a, a top team against a, a lower team in the community shield or an early league cup game perhaps there was very much that feel to it um, but we did everything we needed to do it was a very very professional performance I mean who, who stood out the most for you I mean we've mentioned sort of like the, the team we've mentioned the team at the start and how happy we were and how it there was no glaring weaknesses and we've mentioned a few of the people that were out your Havertz your Silva your Pulisic's etc I mean who's, who was your man of the match because I think yesterday was the toughest call for who was man of the match because although certain people stood out in certain moments nobody really stood out that was a complete team performance yesterday well firstly I'd like to give a mention to Tammy with his goal yeah. because for me that absolutely killed the game Ah, solid. The timing of the goal. The timing of his run and even his overall play. I mean, there was a chance he'd had in the first half. He's run towards the box and his header that uh, the Newcastle keeper saved. That was fantastic play from him. That was really classic centre-forward play. Well, this is it. Like you say, he he made like a little dummy run and he darted across the near post. And something that I always, always, always... Hey, Keith, the thing that there, there's two things that frustrate me more than anything about professional footballers. The first being hitting the first man from the corner, right? You're a professional footballer who takes hundreds of free, free kicks and corners a week. To hit, the, to hit the first man any more than one in ten is completely unacceptable. So, right? so I think that hitting the first man at the corner is one of the things that frustrates me. And honestly, the thing that frustrates me more than anything, and I know that some. Sometimes you have to make moves to the back post and you have to make different moves and like you know you, you can't be too predictable. But how people don't cross the near post when crosses are coming in. When Reese James or Zayet or Chilwell or Werner or Mount or anyone, when they are crossing that ball, and bearing in mind the way that we're playing at the minute, we've usually got five or six people in and around the area in attacking goal scoring positions. How people don't hit that front post every single time is beyond me. And that's exactly what he done yesterday. Zayet picked the ball all up, gave himself five yards of space with just one touch. Everybody expected him to go down the line. He brought it back inside, gave himself five yards of space, whipped in a beautiful cross, and it was a really good header from Tammy. He'd done everything he needed to do with, with the header. And like you say, from uh, 
is Kyle Darlow, wasn't it? Um, mm. Made a very, very good save. He also made a very, very good save from Werner as well, like down to his left-hand side. So, um, yeah, Tammy was No, I thought, I thought Tammy was very good. I also felt that out of all the players, you know, again, all, all of them for me were higher high sevens, yeah, eight out of tens. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I thought James was very good again. He was my man of the match. Mm. Actually, Reese James. Um, I think he was up against potentially tricky players. You know, you look at Sam Maximam and then you look at the power or pace of like a Joe Linton, and he was he had he, he could have potentially had like a really tough afternoon yesterday. But his positioning, his pace of recovery, his link up play with Zayech, his ability to get forward, his fitness, everything about it. You know, him and him and Zuma next to each other. If you look at People are talking a lot about Reese James and Zayic down the right, and understandably they're talking about that. But I like the the communication and the bond between Reese James and Zuma right centre back as well. They seem to be getting a really good understanding. They seem to be, you know, really bonding in their roles and really growing into their roles as well. Reese James was my man in the match yesterday. I thought he was excellent again. And you made a good point actually when you did to sort of text me yesterday afternoon about. How is Aspilicueta going to get back into the team yeah. now? Yeah, and think, we both and we both say that with all the love and respect in the world. Absolutely, Dave, everyone knows. Um, our, everybody knows our, how much we love Dave. But I think with the way that it's looking at the moment, James is going to James is now our first choice right back now. And again, with depending <laughs> what happens with injuries, depending what happens with form. I'd be surprised if James don't start at the Euros either, to be honest. I mean, at, at the moment, um, he is the best defensive right back. I think Trent Alexander-Arnold offers, um, Reese James offers a lot going forward and it, that will develop as well. I think Alexander-Arnold offers slightly more going forward with his assists and his range of passing. But I also feel like Trent Alexander-Arnold is probably going to end up a midfielder. Um, I can imagine next year at the Euros, Alexander-Arnold will be our right-back, and by the time the World Cup comes around, Arnold would have moved further forward, and Reese James would be the right-back, because defensively, he's the best right-back in the country at the moment. Yeah, I can see that. So People talk, people talk about Mendy, people talk about Silva, people talk about Chilwell, and how they've defensively made Chelsea a lot more sound. And yes, Reese James does get a lot of appreciation and a lot of positive comments from pundits and other fans alike but not for how he sorted out the defence I think Reese James has got a lot to do with that because Azpilicueta was expected to get forward Azpilicueta is good going it's just that his powers of recovery and his pace of recovery isn't at the level that Reese James is at and I think that's the difference I think that's why he's in the team I definitely concur with that. One little snippet I'd like to make, and it's in regards to BT Sport. Now, it's not the fact that the king penis of punditry was there, because obviously he was a former Newcastle player, but it was annoying to having to mute and unmute every time he spoke. But the one thing I did want to sort of ask was, why on earth were the BT Sport commentators referring Mendy to Mondi? Right. I tell you what, Keith. Unfortunately, we're we're, we're doing an audio call today because it's very early and we both look rough. Usually, we do a video call. And if I if I'm just going to turn my, you don't have to turn yours on, Keith. I'm going to turn mine on here. I'm going to show you. If you look next to my index finger, if I can find it, on my notes, 
It actually says, if you can read my terrible writing, calling Mendy Mondy. What the fuck? Can you see that? Yes, I can. I've even highlighted the O. Calling Mendy Mondy. Right? Now, I'm sure that there may be a reason behind it. Maybe that's technically the pronunciation of it and all the rest of it and blah, blah. But it frustrates me to the level that it frustrates me when we had... um. When we signed Angolo Kante with an A, everyone calls him Conte. No, Antonio Conte was the Italian manager and Angolo Kante is the French defensive midfielder. Call him Kante and call Conte. You don't call Beckham Buckham, as far as I'm concerned. You don't call Ronaldo Ronaldo. You call him Ronaldo. You don't, you don't call Messi Missy. Do you know what I mean? You call them by the way, like you. I'm sure that the the correct pronunciation and everything, blah blah blah. But everybody knows him as Mendy. So I remember one. I remember <coughs> one. If we're going back years now, when we were sort of kids. But I remember there was this guy who, whether he still does it to this day, it probably don't surprise me. He kept calling Thierry Henry Henry. He said no. He said yeah, well, in was... this country, his his name is Henry. Yes. And he just kept saying, oh, Thierry Henry done well. Yeah, see, now... Not Henri, not sort that, of... And that it frustrated me a little bit, because I was thinking, you're completing utter tip. But it did actually start making me think about this chap when the commentators kept referring to Mendy as Mondi. And I was just, oh, for Jesus Christ, you are well, pissed me off. Like It's like, it reminds me of... Um, I mean, I know this different ways of pronouncing things but people used to call Di Matteo Di Matteo mm. and it's like no it's not Di Ma- it's not Di Matteo it is quite clearly Di Matteo like so Di Matteo yeah it annoys me when people pronounce things clearly clearly very incorrectly well but sticking with moving BT on from, yes. s- sticking with BT there were there was actually someone with a bit of common sense looked like a uh, an extra from Peaky Blinders, but there was a bloke there that actually spoke a lot of sense in the in the name of Joe Cole, and he said after the game that he doesn't see no reason why Chelsea can't be title contenders. I did refer to this a few weeks ago when I mentioned about uh, could Chelsea mount a title challenge, and I looked at the games after the Chelsea result yesterday. And I'm looking, I'm looking forward to watching the games today. Yes, we've only played nine games, but, and I am keeping my feet firmly on the ground. I'm not expecting us to go on like a 30 match unbeaten run here, but there is no reason why we can't win the league. No, absolutely not. When you look at the players that need to come back that were rested, I think the, you know what? It 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 made it made me laugh. There was a lot of crap spoken, and I I know this is a Chelsea podcast, and we're sort of diverting a little bit, but it does actually relate to what we're talking about. When the Spuds beat the Manx yesterday, everyone was going on about how bringing Joe Hart and Gareth Bale has made Tottenham into serious title contenders because they've won stuff. <laughs> and Sorry, I started Gary. thinking, okay, well, Hart's on the bench, so he's not exactly doing much. And Bale, if he's not on the bench, he's starting, but he's playing I was going to say, even, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna say he's like, I, he's only, I, I don't actually sort of 
remember him really starting or doing anything since but he's been back. My, I think he's one head up. Sorry, Warren, my point is this. They're talking about these two Herberts like they, you know, they're Ricky Villar and Ozzy Ardiles. We've brought in a guy that's, I believe, either matched or or overtaken Pele's Brazilian appearance record. Yeah, he's beaten it now, yeah. He's beaten it, yes. I, I, yeah. I thought he did, right? He didn't play yesterday, but... This is a guy that a few months ago played in one of the biggest games of his career in the Champions League final, albeit he lost, but he's a serial winner. Why isn't people talking about Silva changing the ethos of Chelsea back line, at least the back line, but you've got Herberts talking about Joe Hart, who I believe is still paying back head and shoulders the money that Head and shoulders lost through having him as the face of their company, and Gareth Bale. It, it, it just sort of made me laugh a little bit when people are talking nonsense. Yet the again. thing is, I think I think a lot of it is because when you look at the Premier League for the last twenty years, say, um, I know Arsenal won a title in there and they've been close a couple of times, um, but apart from the miraculous season that Leicester had and then last season with Liverpool that the Premier League's been dominated by three clubs Chelsea, Man City and Man United and even to an extent mainly Chelsea and Man United because in that time we've won between us we've probably won 12 of the 20 titles that were on offer so I think a lot of it is to do with just mentioning other teams because you're always talking about the same teams at the top and I think that a lot of I think there's also a lot of talk because you've got to remember that pundits are not just pundits they're kind of salesmen as well they kind of always have a duty to like sell the Premier League so to speak and I think a lot of it has to do with that and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Liverpool are not on top form Man City are not on top form Man United's form Chelsea obviously like down at the start and then up and then up and up and down blah blah all the rest of it I just think that it's a case of they needed something to talk about and they decided to talk about Tottenham I don't it's a very, very odd season, and it does worry me that so many bizarre things are happening that wouldn't normally be possible, and it wouldn't normally be possible for Tottenham to win the league. So I suppose I'm having like anxiety nightmares over that, but it's not actually based on real things, you know what I mean? I don't see, Tottenham's squad isn't big enough, they'll get bored of playing for Mourinho and his style very, very soon. As soon as they lose a game or two, I think Europe's going to mess them up playing them on Thursday, especially because of the situation at the minute. So I don't necessarily, I mean, I consider them challengers towards the top of the league because they do still have a lot of good players and they do still have a good manager. But I don't see them, I think that Liverpool and Man City and teams like that would be a lot more worried about Chelsea than Tottenham right now. So fuck Tottenham. We'll see next week. We will see next week. Anyway, enough about those North London Herberts. Let's carry on talking about Chelsea, shall we? You know, and one person in particular, Warren, I'd like to mention, who didn't get on the score sheet yesterday that should have done, was Timo Werner. I think that he should have scored two goals. Uh, I think, obviously, the one that he dragged wide um, in the first half, and then in the second half, when he tried to be completely unselfish and put it on a plate for... Tammy, I think that that's that kind of position in behind the defence coming in from the left is where Werner's going to get a lot of his goals this season. So I think that his decision making, not just on those two chances, there was a there was a, a good other few instances as well and throughout the season where his decision making isn't quite matured yet. 
Um, I guess he's still very, very young. We have to bear that in mind. And have, that being said, it almost sounds like I'm being negative. I'm not. He was still, uh, he still played really, really well yesterday. He was still a consistent threat. I think that he started to get back to some kind of full fitness. I think the international break in terms of games has actually helped Werner. I think Werner gets fitter the more he plays. He's a bit like Mason Mount in that sense, that the more he plays, the less he seems to need a rest. Uh, a bit like Engolo Kante. So, I was very pleased with his performance yesterday. You touched upon his link-up play with Tammy. It's just him and Timo are just... I can really, really see that relationship blossoming a lot um, in the coming years. I think that they're going to be very, very important this season, just the way that they play. Again, you know, switching it over to the other side, we mentioned Zayat. Some of his touches and some of his crossing was just out of this world. There were certain moments in there that were very easy to miss, little moments of genius. He was absolutely brilliant. But yeah, I was a little bit disappointed with Werner's. I mean, he could have... We got a little bit sloppy before half-time, Keith. You know, we did. We we, we gave the ball away a little bit and, you know, we mentioned about the, the impact the fans could have on that. And there was a few moments of decision-making that were poor. But generally speaking, Werner, Zayek and Tammy were all brilliant. Mason Mount, again, he didn't, he didn't affect the game as much as he has been recently. I think Kovacic plays naturally five yards further forward than Jorginho, which kind of takes up a bit of Mount's space. Um, so I don't think Mount was as effective yesterday as he can be, but still run his socks off and was always in the correct position. And, you know... Put, put, put in some lovely crosses for Zuma, who I have to say at the moment, defensively and offensively, is probably the best header of a ball in the Premier League at the minute. Um, yeah. Van Dyke would have to be Van Dyke would have to be considered in that, just because you know I'm a football fan and I'm a realist, and he's a fantastic defender and a very good header of a ball. But at the moment, he ain't headering nothing. So at the moment, Kurt Zuma, in terms of winning headers, is the best in the Premier League for me at the minute. I was really impressed with him. One thing that I did notice that throughout the whole all of the years that we was very successful under Mourinho and Ancelotti uh, Conte Mourinho the second time round Hiddink Di Matteo um, we've never been a team that really really dominated the possession not, not even against like teams that are the lower half of the Premier League your Newcastles your Brighton your Aston Villas you know, team, your Crystal Palaces. We've never been a team necessarily to like really dominate the possession, especially under Jose. I mean, we quite famously had less than 20% possession against Barcelona a couple of times and against Man United a couple of times under Jose. So after 30 minutes yesterday, we had had 81% of the possession. And I think it finished on something not too dissimilar to that. So it was good to see us being the dominant team that we're supposed to be. And no, I don't think that we actually played amazing yesterday I think that a lot of pundits got a bit carried away with, with the result yesterday rather than the performance I don't think that we was that great I don't think we was that much better against Newcastle than we was against Brighton for example or for long periods of the game apart from defensively obviously long periods of the game against West Brom I think that we actually played some better football in the second half against West Brom than we did against Newcastle yesterday so it wasn't the complete performance but it was the complete result to have had to have come back after a two week international where every single one of our players was on international duty yeah <coughs> every single one of them <coughs> excuse me every single one of them was on international duty and they was away for two weeks and they was playing all over the world you just mentioned their silver was obviously you know breaking Pele's 
record for appearances for Brazil, or at least moving above him, not necessarily breaking the record, but moving above Pele at least. They're players all around the world, and they came back and, you know, they didn't, it didn't take too much out of us, and we dominated the ball, so we didn't have to do as much running around. And, you know, Tammy got his goal, and Werner looked good and got his assist, and Mendy, you know, looked composed and got another clean sheet, the same as the defence. And we even had opportunity to take Werner and Chilwell off and give them a rest and stuff and Tammy off and give them a rest before the the big game against Wren on Tuesday um, so it was a very 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 good result I don't think it was necessarily the best but I think we're going to play a lot better than that this season yes, <laughs> I think we're going to play agree. a lot I think we're going to play a lot better than that this season but we've done everything we needed to do now in the past sort of 12, 24, 36 months they're the games that we haven't been winning we mention it on this podcast almost every week we lost this game last year we lost this game to a 94th minute, uh, was it Isaac Hayden? Isaac maybe? Hayden, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I remember, because the, the, sta- the stadium had been silent for 93 and a half minutes, the 30 seconds at the start of the match, when, you know, they come out up to the, when they come out on the pitch and they kick off, and then the last minute when they scored. But um, we lost that game last season. We drew with Brighton last season. You know, we, we, you know, we're winning games and picking up more points than we did at this stage last season. So it's all very positive. And also another fact that I didn't even realise until the start of the match yesterday, and it was, um, I believe it was the BT Sports commentator that said it, um, we're the top goal scorers in the Premier League this season. Yes. So, yeah, you know, it was it was all positive yesterday, but with a little bit, a little dose of reality thrown in there as well, that we wasn't that great against a very negative and weakened Newcastle team. However, three points, clean sheet, was top of the league. So, Warren, to sum up, obviously, the the result yesterday, very good performance, always nice to get three points away from home, another clean sheet, which which is important. I think it's made a massive difference. Putting a game to bed, bed, which the timing of Tammy's goal, as you said, done, putting games to bed, at the right time, scoring goals at important times and not conceding goals at important times. Yes, exactly. Let's now move on, if we can, to the Champions League game midweek. We will touch bases on this just a little bit. We're not going to go too far into the weeds with this one. I'm looking at the sort of situation at the moment with the Ren game on Tuesday night. And it is a case of if we win this, we do qualify from the group. Yes, yes. So absolutely. Say, Warren, yeah. just with Spurs in mind, should Frank rest players or should no. we go? You know what? No. We're on good form. We're keeping clean sheets. Let's get a win against Rain. Let's qualify from the group. Let's not worry about match day five and six, and keep that form going. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I I I, I don't think that he should. The thing is, there's going to be changes, and there's going to be changes with Tottenham in mind, but that's going to be a tactical thing, rather than a, right, okay, so if we lose against Wren, we're still in, or if we draw against Wren, we're still in a very strong position to qualify from the group, and we still have Krasnodar to play to get our result that we need at home and stuff like that. Um, I absolutely don't think that's the way that Frank's going to look at it. I think that Tottenham are a kind of team that would look to rest six or seven of their players before mm. a huge mm. Premier League match if they had a European game. I think I believe that Tottenham 
and Arsenal are the kind of teams that will do that. I believe that, to a large extent, Jurgen Klopp's mentality is that he's kind of he his hand has is forced because Liverpool demand to do well in Europe. Their fans demand to do well in Europe. But if you look at the way he treats the uh, the domestic cup competitions with such disdain and respect and disrespect, I beg your pardon. Um, I, I don't want to be a club like that at all. So I think that he will put out the strongest available team to play against Wren. I think it'll be a very similar lineup to how it was yesterday. I think Silva will come in. Um, I think Jorginho might come in. And other than that, I can see it being pretty much exactly the same. So no, I don't think that he'll rest players specifically for Tottenham in terms of... I don't th- Put it this way, he will see the Wren game as just as important as the top get, Tottenham game in every single way. And I totally agree. We have to just we have to go and get three points in Wren. Because then if if we beat Wren and then, you know, who who knows what else happens in the group. If we can get qualified from this group by winning the group by the end of match day five, then it does afford us the opportunity to yeah, rotate our stronger players, of course. Like still still using kind of we mentioned this before using the same 16 17 18 they're all like first team players kind of thing but yeah, yeah it'd be good to see yeah. Dave, Dave come in and Christiansen come in and maybe Caballero check or Kepa or whoever and it'd be good to see Gilmore getting into the team yeah it'd be good to see Giroud get Giroud getting some minutes I think there'll be perfect opportunities for Callum to play he's going to be one of the focal creative points so he's going to get a lot more of the ball and a lot more opportunities yeah, absolutely in that situation. However, this week for Ren, no, 100% has to be a full-strength start in 11, and we have to win that game. That's how it is. I mean, we have to win the Tottenham game, but we have to win the Ren game as well. So I'm quite looking forward to it. I'm disappointed on the earlier slot um, of the 5.15 programme starting. But other than that, I, I expect to go out there and win. I expect to go out there and win. Well, I think the the allocated time, I believe, will help us. Because it's a longer time to rest between the Wren and the Tottenham game. Bear in mind as well that Tottenham are playing on Thursday. Yeah, it's very good we're playing on Tuesday this week. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm pleased that we're playing on Tuesday. If we were playing on Wednesday, I'd have wanted the earlier kickoff. Mm. But the Tottenham game being on... If we play on Tuesday, the Tottenham game is further away than the Newcastle game. So really, I would have looked at it as an extra two hours rest after the Newcastle game as opposed to an extra two hours rest before the Tottenham game. Because, only because the Newcastle game was closer to the Tottenham game, so I would look at it that way round. But I don't think it should affect us too much. No, I think that we've got enough quality players. Like, like I say, like I say, if you have to bring in, if you have to bring in Jorginho, and you have to bring in Hudson-Odoi, and you have to bring in Silva, and you have to bring in Aspilicueta, and... You know, it doesn't make no difference. No. You know, they're, they're top quality players coming in to replace top quality players. So, um, I think there will be a couple of changes. I think there'll be two or three changes, and then I think there'll be another two or three changes going on to the Tottenham game as well. I think Havertz. I think Havertz is Havertz going to come back midweek. Do we do we know what's happening with him? We're not sure yet. Mm. We're not sure. I think Frank will probably confirm it tomorrow. I think Havertz. What's happening? Havertz is the kind. I think I think Havertz is the kind of player that's going to come on against Wren. Yes. Whatever the situation is. If, yes. if we're freeing it up after six if we're freeing it up after sixty five minutes, Havertz comes on to get minutes under his belt. If it's nil nil and we need a goal after sixty five minutes, or if we're losing in, indeed, Havertz can come on and be that creative spark, that creative gene, as well as the minutes under his belt. So I think what's most likely gonna happen is Havertz will start on the bench. Um 
with an idea that he's going to start against Tottenham on Sunday. But at the moment, it's hard to see him getting in the team the way we're playing. <laughs> but yeah, that was just quickly touching upon the Wren game. Obviously, we'll cover it in a little bit more detail um, in addition to the the Tottenham game next week, which I feel like everybody's focused on and I'm not. I'm very, very, very much focused on Wren. Oh, absolutely. I, I am more I'm more focused on Wren because for me, and again, this does touch on the Premier League chances, the Champions League uh, is an open book at the moment. You know, yes. any, any, anybody can As is win the it. Premier Yes, it's very similar to the Premier League in that sense. Exactly. And the Spanish League, even Real Madrid and Barcelona in the Spanish League, but Bayern Munich dropped points yesterday. It's, it's happening all over the world. Yes. And yes. Absolutely. Just quickly, just quickly, the last thing that I wanted to mention, I know we're, just, we're going to come up, we're going to wrap the podcast up very shortly, but the one thing that I did want to mention is the fact that since the, since the Premier League first started, sort of, you know, all them years ago, 28 years ago, whatever it was, um, never, never, ever, ever has there been more away wins than there has home wins. And at the start, I heard start of the Chelsea Newcastle, yes, and at the start of the Chelsea, it's slightly adjusted now with the numbers but at the start of the game yesterday there had been 34 away victories and 29 home victories so that just shows how bizarre football is that things are happening that have never happened before so I just wanted to I just wanted to throw that one in there well I think that does actually go in nicely with what we've been saying with how the results have been because the lack of fans it just goes to show that it does have an effect and clubs that are not successful in winning trophies, but have a huge fan base, yeah. it's affected them massively. You know, yes. you look at Newcastle, Leeds to a extent. You look at other clubs. Look at look at look at Bolton in League Two, sixteenth in League Two at the minute, mm. and they're having to blood a lot of their youth team. Which some people say, some people, some, somebody suggested to me that for the youth players, it's an advantage because they've been used to playing in front of very very small crowds, big competitions. You know. Youth Cups and Youth Champions Leagues and, the, the, you know, the Youth Premier League and as such as it is, um, like huge competitions and that, that mean so much to them, um, but playing in front of very small or no crowd. So people suggest that that might help them. I, don't, I think that certain clubs it affects, like Bolton, when they're bringing through seven or eight youth players, they need 15,000 fans on their side. So right. I, think, I think that the, 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 the ripple effect through football is very dramatic at the minute. Yes. But I think we can safely say, and we can actually agree, that the quicker fans are allowed back in stadiums, the better football will be in this country. Warren, um, before we go, there is an announcement that I will make in regards to the Blue Day podcast. And we have a second ex-Chelsea player that will be on the show for an exclusive interview. I've mentioned this on the Facebook page and if you're not on the Facebook page, if you're not liking us, then why not? Find us, subscribe to us. We have got the YouTube channel. We've now got Twitter yeah. as well, which which is which is going nicely indeed at the moment. But we I, we will be announcing the particular player's name next week. So catch us on that. That will be on YouTube. It will be on Instagram. It will be on all our platforms. We will be announcing the player next week, next weekend to be precise and this is just a little snippet of who it is so if you are listening to this and you're you know wondering who it is this is a player who has won the premier league with us 
So that's the only clue. That's the only thing that I'm going to say on on the matter. But and even be... though, even though that's the only thing he's going to say on the matter, the one thing I can tell you is it's not one matter. <laughs> just, just for anyone who thought that that might have been like a really like um like a little subliminal clue it's not unfortunately one matter is somebody that me and Keith would be very very excited to get on the podcast and indeed somebody that we are trying to get on the podcast but at the moment it's not him but but whoever it is hopefully you guys will enjoy it so Warren again great result yesterday I'm going to enjoy today's football I'm going to enjoy the Ren game. How would you like to end this? Would you like uh, to? Would you like this to end on with Harry Jane and the All Stars? Well, do you know what? There is absolutely no better way to play us out. Nothing I could ever say will be comparable to the sounds of Harry Jane and the All Stars. Brilliant. So Harry Jane and the All Stars are here, fellow Chelsea supporters. Stay safe and carefree. Network.